This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby will be back tomorrow. Dr. Peter Uni is with us now to talk about the escalating COVID-19 numbers in Ontario and a decision by the Medical Officer of Health in Windsor-Essex to reimpose some public health restrictions beginning on Friday. And by the way, you can get in on the conversation or if you have a question for Dr. Uni, numbers to call are 416-360-0740 or one 866 Dr. Uni is the Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table and a regular contributor here on Fight Back. Dr. Uni, welcome again. Thanks for having me again. Let's talk about Windsor-Essex. What is going on there? Oh, look, it's one of the uh, areas, and you, you just need to have a look, you know, go to Public Health Ontario website and go to the maps there, have a look. There are some areas in the province that really struggle. And, you know, the area around Windsor-Essex is one of those. Area around Algoma, uh, for instance, as well. And it's really just clustered geographically in the province. Not everybody struggles. So good news for once. That hasn't been always the case in the past. GTA and Ottawa look okay, but uh, Windsor-Essex needs some challenges to be resolved. So, for instance, the city of Toronto had 139 cases reported today. Uh, what would that be when you compare with what's happening in Windsor-Essex? Oh, when you go to our dashboard, you find rates by public health unit. I'm about to update it uh, for today. And when you look at that, you know, Toronto right now is around, um, what is it, roughly 40 per 1 million inhabitants per day. Okay. And Windsor-Essex is at 160 180 even, per 1 million inhabitants per day. I'll go much worse, is at 280. So that's what what shows you right now. The challenges are more in places that weren't particularly accustomed to having big outbreaks such as Algoma or uh, Windsor-Essex, who had explosive outbreaks in the past. Uh, Dr. Uni, is that as a result or a direct correlation to a lower vaccination rate in those regions? Mm-hmm. No, no, it's a combination probably of existing immunity, of vaccine coverage and of behavior and sometimes even just, you know, uh, pure bad luck if you have an outbreak that you don't get under control. It's probably a combination of all those. It may well be that people in the greater Toronto area um, have a bit more um, immunity derived, unfortunately, from uh, past infections than, for instance, Algoma, but also that they have a bit more routine in just doing the right thing. You know, that's what, what, what you see is that the behavior with masking, etc., is not always the same everywhere in the province. So this decision by the Medical Officer of Health and Windsor-Essex to go back to some public restrictions, reducing gatherings indoors and outdoors, 50% capacity in restaurants, etc. Is this a good decision? Absolutely. I think all those places we have, right now we have 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12 public health units, including Sunday Bay, Hastings, Prince Edward, Haldimand, Brand, Southwestern, Timco, Muskoka, Tim is coming, etc. All of those places really need to look very carefully what to do. And it's really the restrictions that we hear now from Windsor Essex about the right thing for those places. And that's the point. We don't want a one-size-fits-all in the province. That's not needed. Why? We don't, you know, just open and close. We just fine-tune with uh, capacity limits limits of the size of gatherings, etc. That's a completely different story than in the past when we were closing businesses. Are there any other regions of Ontario that you would advise similar restrictions to be implemented? Yeah, at the ones that I said before, Algoma. you know, uh, so uh, I, I forgot to mention you know, Algoma, Sudbury, then indeed Winter-Essex, I just rank it, you know, according to what I see just right now on our dashboard. Kingston yeah. is a problem, Chatham, Tim is coming, and the other one I, uh, the other ones I actually already mentioned. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have some questions here on the phone lines for you. Numbers to call 416-360-0740 or 1-866-744-740. David, in Toronto, go ahead. You're on Fight Back. 
Yes, I just had a question about testing. The previous um, expert talked about the importance of testing strategies. <clears throat> I know in the UK, they are very much promoting asymptomatic testing by the government, providing to households free lateral flow tests. They're also free at the pharmacy. And the government's encouraging people to test on a regular basis. For example, in Scotland, they're encouraging you to test twice a, twice a week. I'm wondering why we're so different here in Ontario yeah. and oh. whether we look at best practices around the world on a, on a regular basis, because I assume the U.K. decision is based on science, not politics. All right, let's go to Dr. Uni. Great question. Thank you, David. Yeah, stay tuned. We're about to publish a brief on rapid testing on Wednesday, and I agree with you. We can do much more there, and uh, while we're probably not uh, in a position that we need to do it in Toronto, remember, you know, compared with the UK, this is paradise here. Um, Indeed, in places uh, like Algoma, etc., rapid testing should probably play a role in schools and potentially also in other settings. Perhaps not as, you know, widespread as you were referring to, but uh, we looked at it as long as it's Delta, this actually is bound to work out great. Um, we need to see then how it will be with Omicron. So mm-hmm. we will need new studies to figure out whether rapid tests also perform well for Omicron. Well, we do know uh, at least uh, the Ontario government is sending home five tests for all public school children in this province over the winter Absolutely. break. Yeah, so Absolutely. That's, that's a little bit of the same philosophy, right? Yes, indeed. You know, and the idea there really is at least that we just uh, spread these tests in the population a bit better, especially, uh, you know, with families, with kids who uh, didn't have the opportunity yet to get fully vaccinated. And uh, and this uh, hopefully is coming more. There is, the, I believe there could be a shift now just uh, in, uh, in doctrine also here in Ontario. Let's go to Murray in Malton. Go ahead, Murray. Okay, how are you? Fine, thanks. What's your question or comment? I'd like to know, uh, is there any discussion on reducing the length of time between doses? Uh, You're talking about between the second and third shots? Well, it'd probably be good for anybody getting any shot right now because we're almost at 50% uh, double-vaxxed people getting uh, sick again. Okay, what about that, Dr. Uni? So uh, between the second and the third shot, I wasn't quite sure whether I understood the question correctly. Uh, we, we, we should have roughly this uh, gap of six months or so. But you shouldn't uh, you know, wait until eight months after the second shot. Between the no, first no, and no, the second no, shot... I, I'm, I'm talking about going the other way. Six months now doesn't seem to be working because people are getting sick. So why don't we reduce no, that five true. months? No, that's not true what you're saying. That's an untrue statement. So what we see, we monitor that very, very uh, carefully. We have a lot of effectiveness up to six months. And right now, six months is a really good sweet spot. But we shouldn't wait much longer. Right now, what we have as a challenge ahead is that very many people, you know, uh, between now and uh, Christmas, there will be an additional 3 million people who reach the six-month threshold after the second shot. And we need to get all those people, you know, vaccinated as soon as possible. To even shorten it more doesn't make any sense, and we really carefully monitor the vaccine effectiveness. You also see that on our dashboard. Well, the 168 days between the second and third shots, that's that's effectively five and a half months anyway, right? That's true. We just we, t- we took arbitrarily now on the dashboard. Just uh, you will see that in the next few days uh, we will expand that a bit, uh, a cutoff of six months. But you know, it's give or take a few days. That doesn't matter. But that's the point. After roughly six months, it's time to go, especially for those you know my age or older. I'm 54, and uh, and uh, probably in the future we'll see the age cutoff also also lowered. Yeah, and I'm 56 as well, and I was fully expecting up until last week to have to wait till January. So it is great news that all of us 50-plus will be able to get that third dose as soon as next week. Yeah. Meet you in the vaccine clinic then. <laughs> That's right. I've, I've already booked, you know, I've, I'm holding my place at my local pharmacy where I got my second shot. So I'm hoping that works out, doctor. Um, now, in terms of the ICUs, just before you go here, we just have less than a minute. We uh, currently, what I'm reading is 168 patients in the ICUs in Ontario, up from 148 last Monday. Is that, is that rate of increase a concern as well? Again, you know, we see just the high variation between places in the province. It's not a problem for the GTA right now, and we're not talking yet about the real concern. 
But we need to get things under control in those about 10, 12 public health units that struggle most. That's the point, especially you know, in the situation we're in now. They struggle already with contact tracing and testing anyway, so they can't do that efficiently anymore. Numbers need to come down also that we keep capacity okay in the ICUs. On, an, on a provincial level, it's not a problem. So right now, if you know Algoma were really to struggle a lot and didn't have enough uh, ICU capacity, of course, they could transfer in other parts of the province, even though that's, of course, not ideal for patients. Dr. Uni, thank you so much for your time and your service. I look forward to our next chat. Sounds good. Take care. Dr. Peter Uni is the Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. Jane for Libby, who is back tomorrow. Bob Comsick has your very latest news coming up next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. We have received some early good news on the Omicron variant from Dr. Anthony Fauci, America's top doctor. He says it appears that the Omicron variant is more transmissible than the Delta variant, but... And here's the good news. It may not be as severe as the Delta. This opinion is based on reports from South Africa, where the Omicron variant emerged and is becoming the dominant strain, suggesting the hospitalization rates have not increased alarmingly. Joining us now is epidemiologist Dr. Tim Sly, professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University. Doctor, great to have you on again. Thank you, Jane. I would think Dr. Fauci is a reputable source on what we know so far. Oh, uh, no doubt about it. And he's echoing some of the information we're getting from colleagues in uh, Europe, uh, particularly uh, Britain, and also from the uh, work done in South Africa, which is uh, an excellent quality work. It's suggesting that that uh, there definitely is an increase in the in the spread, although a little more fine detail to find out exactly how much um, more able to be transmitted this thing is than the Delta, for example. But some people are estimating it could be as much as about two and a half times more than the original virus, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really tell us a great deal. But certainly, remember, there are three characteristics that we're worried about that any new variant appears. Okay, Dr. Sly, something's happening there with your line. You started out strong. I'll just get Zeev to check that out. Um, Certainly, we know um, as a result of hospitalization rates staying steady in South Africa, we're not hearing anything about whether the Omicron variant uh, is leading to severe disease. We don't know yet how it's reacting in people who are double vaccinated. So uh, it's interesting to sort of initially think it, it might not be as virulent, uh, virulent as uh, the Delta variant, but we should know soon. Uh, do we have Dr. Sly sorted out there? We're good to go. Dr. Sly, so, so what would you like to add to what we know so far? Well, okay, Jane, very briefly, we've got a situation where it's still too early to say anything with definitively, but observations and uh, educated uh, estimates of this are saying that it appears that we might not be looking at a very severe set of illness. Mind you, that could be because the people who've got it so far in a younger age group, and we don't know what it's going to be like when it spreads to the older people, but that's good news, possibly good news. The other thing, it doesn't seem to be uh, uh, as, as, as severe, or in fact, uh, we don't know how much it evades the, the uh, immunity that we've built up over the last uh, number of excuse me, number of months. Mm -hmm. So luckily, hopefully, this is simply a variant that spreads more. The other two things, we're going to have to wait for the the research to be done on that. Remember, those three things are really important. What what determines a a dominant strain is not how how lethal it is or how much it evades the uh, the vaccine so much as it just how how rapidly does it spread how effectively does it spread and this thing does seem to be able to spread much more effectively if you have a question for dr timothy sly you're welcome to uh, either comment or, or call in with your question 416 toll free 1-866-740 
888-528-4740. Do we know now or yet how the Omicron variant is manifesting itself in people who are unvaccinated versus those who are vaccinated? We don't know at the moment, and that's what everybody is sort of sitting with white knuckles to find out what what we're going to find. What we do know is that there does seem to be a suggestion of increased amount of reinfections in the group who've been vaccinated already, and the exact amount of of this it's due to the Omicron variant has not been pinned down yet, but it might well be that this thing evades the vaccines a little more than than the Delta. Did. And this is quite possible because of the 50 or so mutations in the virus, about 30 of them are in the spike protein and something like 10 are in what we call the receptor binding domain. That's the, think of it as the key that goes into our cells lock. That's the ability for the virus to invade our cells. Ah. So we've got a lot more mutation activity at that particular point. And that's a, a little bit worrying. And this is why it could well be that we may be seeing a few more reinfections. So we got to keep our eye on that. Reinfections, but in terms of how sick people are getting if they are reinfected with this variant. Well, so far, and as of yesterday, about 24 hours ago, there'd been no deaths yet. Now, it may be a little too early to sell because, remember, this thing was only first reported uh, globally as of about 10 days ago. And it's, uh, it takes two or three weeks to get into the hospital and to be seriously ill and another week or so to die. So it's a little too early to, to talk about deaths yet in this case. But so far, from a simply field observation, the people who are showing up with this appear to have a, a, a rather overwhelming fatigue and a, and a fairly mild set of symptoms not the serious stuff that we would have been dreading. Great information. Uh, Dr. Tim Sly is with us, epidemiologist, professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University. Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Uh, Could you explain for us, Dr. Sly, what vaccine researchers are doing right now to see uh, how strong the variant, the Omicron variant, is against the co-vaccines that we have now? Yes, these are called neutralization studies. And what's, what's happening right now, and there's certainly University of Witwatersrand in uh, South Africa is deeply involved in this, and several others around the world. They will develop a virus very quickly that's an innocent virus, but it does have genetically changed some of the particular spike protein from the coronavirus. Obviously, this can't do any damage, but at least you can study. Then you, then you swamp this particular virus with different forms of antibodies that we've been building up over the last year or so to see just how much it escapes uh, the action, the neutralizing effect of the antibodies. And that stuff should be coming in with hopeful early results in the next week and a half. Ah, okay, that was my next question. So you expect official word in the next 10 days? I expect some early preprint results coming along, but then, of course, they have to be peer-reviewed and uh, chewed up a bit, and then there'll be a publication. But this thing, as you know, has been publishing, uh, we've been publishing very effectively around the world, and I think uh, everything's been speeded up with this pandemic, everything. Well, and including giving out third shots of the vaccine, it it seemed as though uh, people 50 and over were not going to, or at least that 50 to 70 age range, weren't going to get their third shots till the new year. So that has been sped up to the second half of December, merrily motivated by this Omicron variant and all the unknowns associated with it? No, I think it's uh, the Omicron came along sort of after that decision was made. But I think that what we are, we're expecting to see fully is that uh, we will see a surge again this winter, not as high, I hope, as the fourth wave, but it has to be. We've got winter coming where we're all indoors now with the windows and doors closed. Uh, that's one reason. The second, that we're going to be gathering together. You remember what happened a year ago around Christmas and New Year's? We had all kinds of peaks right in the early January. So that's another one. And of course, we're letting a guard down. People are becoming sick and tired of this and fatigued and we're taking off the mask. And So those three things will predict a surge regardless of the Omicron variant coming along. If this thing may or may not cause an in- in- increased spread, then that'll be a fourth reason to see the numbers going up. And they are going up, as you see, well, in Terry, we've had a, about a thousand a day for the last four or five days, which is alarming. I do want to ask you what you make of those higher case counts, but just to the 
phones here for a moment. Daryl in Toronto. Daryl, you have a question for Dr. Sly? Yes, I would like to ask, once we get our, our boosters, our third shot, is there a two-week period for that to kick in as before? Uh, that's, oh, that's a very good, very yeah. good question. Yeah, um, uh, it's, it's, it, t- it takes a while for the body to respond. I, I, I'm not a vaccinologist, and I think you'd need to ask one of those people, but my understanding is that we might not need to wait uh, the full two, I'd say 21 days, roughly, to get the original antibody reaction. It's, the body's already tuned to that, so this is just stimulating a bit more. I would think it'll be a little less than 21 days, but I think to be on the safe side, you need to wait about two or three weeks before you get absolute optimal protection in you with, with that third shot. I mean, it's good to not think of it as a booster anymore. Think of it as simply a, a three-shot vaccine. And it's probably, let's face it, we've been in vaccines now for about a year, and uh, we will probably see this as a yearly um, uh, top-up vaccine for all of us indefinitely from now on, much like your influenza gets uh, shot into you about every year. And that's probably we'll see this added onto that. Daryl, follow-up question, or are you good? No, that sounds good. Thank you, okay. everyone. Stay well. Thank you. You too. Thanks for calling Bye. in. Uh, so, Dr. Sly, and that, that's really good information as well, knowing that when we get our influenza shot this time next year, we might also be getting our COVID shot. I mean, that's kind of been the speculation all the way along, but good to hear that from you. Uh, so what do you make of these higher case counts in Ontario in recent days? Almost 1,200 yesterday, back below 1,000 today, but the seven-day rolling average continues to climb. Uh, public health restrictions in Windsor, Essex. Uh, do you think this is a hint of what's to come province-wide? Oh, you've got about eight questions there. Jane. I know. <laughs> I, I, mean, I can do let's, that. <laughs> let's take Windsor, Essex to begin with. Um, remember, they were hit uh, in the early days of Delta, if you remember. And if you go way back, about a year, no, almost almost two years now, isn't it? March uh, into 2020. Yes. They were hit initially in those first days of the virus itself in Ontario, because it originally came from BC. So I, I understand that they're nervous there. Uh, but I think we've got to do something. Canada's do something at borders to smooth over this process. It seems like you'd need a, a PhD to figure out exactly the permutations and combinations of, of, of testing. And that. So what, what I think we've, we've seen, unfortunately, is a reluctance to use rapid testing in a repeated manner, in a strategic manner, right from the very beginning. There's been a reluctance. So we know that there's a false negatives and false positives, but once you've been to double up these, these rapid tests, we wouldn't shouldn't see a truck driver with his load uh, parked there for a, a period of quarantine. We should better test them. He should better have a test, he or she a test before they come over, a uh, day or two before, and certainly a day when they arrive and another day after that, and then if they're all negative, they could be on their way because the, the positivity that you can assume from a rapidly, some from repeated rapid tests is, is excellent. It's just up there with the, with the PCR tests. So we need to have more strategic, sensible use of rapid testing to, to ease people across the border. But it's testing that's going to be the thing, not closing down all flights from South Africa on this kind of policy. I mean, we need, for example, the world needs the samples of the virus to be circulated to research labs around the world. This is going to be impeded by closing down flights. It's never worked before. The moment we begin to say, oh, I wonder if the virus is here, you can be darn sure the virus is already here. It just hasn't been found yet. And that's been shown time and time again. Well, even on the topic of rapid tests, and we've been talking about holiday gatherings in the first half of Fight Back, everybody who's going to a gathering can take a rapid test and get a negative result and feel good even better about uh, attending a get-together with other people. Yes, that's exactly correct. And if you bring in the idea of, of layering it up a bit, if I were you to, to really optimize it, and this is what I would do if I was going to do a party, I would say, let's have one test done about five days before party. And it's only, a, as you know, it's like a pregnancy test. You know, it takes about four or five minutes to do. One test five days before, the other test the day before or the day of. And if they're both negative, go to the party and enjoy it because you know everybody else has done the same thing. Excellent.
Great suggestion. We'll leave it there. Dr. Tim Sly, always appreciate your time. Thank you, Jane. Stay well. Bye. You too. Epidemiologist Dr. Tim Sly, professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University. We will carry on with this topic after the break uh, about these public health restrictions for Windsor-Essex specifically under renewed restrictions starting Friday. Should we be looking at province-wide restrictions in the face of growing numbers? Dr. Peter Uni joins us on that next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby returns tomorrow. Great to be with you as always. Since we last spoke with our Zoomer squad, we learned third shots of the COVID-19 vaccine, otherwise known as boosters, would be offered to all Ontario residents aged 50 and over starting a week from today. Peter Muggridge is senior editor of Zoomer magazine. David Kravitz is chief membership officer at CARP and vice president here at Zoomer Media. And Bill Van Gorder is chief operating and chief policy officer at CARP, a new vision of aging. Gentlemen, welcome. Hi, Jane. Hello. Hi, Jane. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi, Jane. Well, Peter, I'll start with you. This is great news and gets the older crowd boosted against the virus ahead of holiday gatherings. Yeah, ahead of holiday gatherings and, and ahead of the the worrisome new uh, variant that's sprung up is, uh, to, to make everyone that much more worried about uh, their hol- celebrating a safe holiday season. So it, it's, a, it's a good news uh, development. And... Um, I, I'm just wondering whether everyone will rush to it like they did their first and second vaccines. I, I, I think uh, there's a little bit of vaccine fatigue in there. Um, people think they're covered with the first two. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the uptake levels are. Well, Peter, let me put that out there then to our Zoomer radio listeners. Will you be rushing to get the third shot the way you did for the first and second? Numbers to call 416-360-0740 or toll free one 866 740-4740. Peter, did you want to add something there? No, uh, that was that's uh, it, it's it'll be interesting. Like uh, the the uh, it, it's being offered through the same um, venues. I, I I think it's it's the fewer pharmacies are offering it, but uh, I I know you can book the on the vaccination hub or uh, call your local pharmacy. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the uptake levels are. Well, we certainly know how to book a vaccine appointment now, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Bill, what are your thoughts? Oh, I, I agree with uh, Peter. It certainly will be uh, interesting to see what the uptake is. We hope that it is is good. You know, that uh, that's part of our CARP uh, de- demographic down to the age of 50, not just the the older part. And, we, and you know, we know that all the health studies show that actually the risks and health conditions of people in that uh, uh, 45 to 60 year age age group in many cases is worse than the older uh, uh, the older Canadians. So uh, people over 50 really do need to to look at it, consider uh, get, getting it. Uh, how how can how can you lose? And with the news of of increased uh, cases uh, now, uh, we hope that people will flock to the uh, uh, to the location easiest for them and get get the uh, booster to make sure they're protected. Bill, we're speaking with you from Nova Scotia. Have you received your booster yet? No, but my I have an appointment for next uh, uh, next week, a week today. Oh, great! Yeah. Right after talking to you, I get mine. Oh, that's great news. Uh, David, your thoughts on the third shot going 50 and older a week from today? I think that the rational move is to get everything you can get and don't try to relate it to the news about Omicron and higher case rates. I think you have to say that every dose of protection that I can get, regardless of uh, how serious or mild or widespread the new cases are. In my mind, anyway, it's almost become two separate topics. Uh, I'm not eligible for a booster. I think probably similar to Bill. I don't know. uh, I have one more week to go till I have the the right number of days after I receive my second shot. 
till I get the booster, and I certainly will get it the day I become uh, eligible. And I think that's a sane, rational, protective measure that every single person should follow. And then whether that really protects you, partly protects you, somewhat protects you, whether Omicron is serious or mild, uh, I don't think you can get drawn into that vortex. I think you've got to do what you can to protect yourself and um, follow the news almost like a separate uh, separate topic. And we will be discussing the latest information on the Omicron variant in the second half of Fight Back. But David, like you, um, I know 168 days from my second shot was this past Saturday. Uh, being uh, 56, I am waiting for next Monday to book my shot. And if they'll give it to me next Monday, I will be first in line. Let me put that out to you as well. Is that your strategy? Have you counted out your 100? 168 days since your second shot, and will you be taking advantage of that eligibility widening as soon as 50-plusers are allowed to get their shots as of next Monday? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Also invite you to call in uh, about getting together with family and friends over the holidays. What are your plans on that. Uh, According to a new Angus Reid survey, the number of people attending workplace parties, visiting friends, having holiday dinners is rebounding closer to pre-pandemic levels. So here are some of what I thought were interesting findings uh, for uh, Bill, Peter and David to comment on. A firm majority, 6 in 10, say they will only be spending time with those who are double vaccinated against COVID. At the same time, 3 in 5 Canadians say they're concerned about becoming sick. Three and four say they are worried their friends or family will be infected by COVID-19. So it sounds like, Peter, for those who are vaccinated, it'll be back to a pre-pandemic gathering at Christmas time. Well, you know, I, I, I found the the, the uh, stat about cr- uh, Christmas parties a little bit puzzling. I, I know, um, you know, uh, where I work, we're not having one. And um, I, I would assume a lot of companies would be shy or, or, or sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, not not really willing. Just put it off until next year, you know. So uh, like until the, the coast is clear. And and I, I found that strange that the Christmas parties were were returning to normal uh, pre-pandemic levels. I, it it just doesn't seem. Um, like that's going to happen in, in, in my own experience and from people I've spoken to. Yeah, so, certain, um, certainly not company-wide, right, Peter? I mean, right. maybe pe- like, yeah, maybe just in your small department. Right, and even then, I, I think people are slow to do it, you know. Like, there, there's just, you, you know, A, people don't want to get sick for the holidays, right? So they're, they're not going to put themselves into that situation. And, um, and, and I just don't see the uh, sort of the impetus there for it. But... Um, in, in terms of, um, you know, we, we have a large family and, and, and we're going to have uh, people from the States and from Ottawa visit us. So, um, you know, that's different from last year when no one visited us. So so I, I guess we fall into the category of, you know, we're, we're going to have visitors, but we're going to sort of not go all out like we have in the past. We're, we're, we're going to sort of comply with regulations and try to try to make everything as safe as possible. And are you part of that six in ten without getting too personal, uh, only spending time with those who are double vaccinated? Um, I, you know what, I, I, I probably won't. <laughs> you know, I, I, it, I haven't really spoken to anyone, any family members about their vaccination status, so... Um, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to put a firm. No. Uh, no, I can't see you. But uh, and I know a lot of families. You know, mine included. There are those close family members or extended family members who've yet to get vaccinated. I, I know, Bill. This is an issue for a lot of families out there. Well, it is. It's a, it, it is a concern. That, and and you know, for, for many people, though, they already know um, who's uh, who's double vaccinated and. And uh, who is I, I found that question on the survey rather strange because if if your circle of family and circle of friends already includes people who are double vaccinated, then you would say uh, you would say yes to, to that and not mean that you are necessarily limiting your uh, uh, contact. Now, uh, maybe my my circle of, of business and 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 friends and community friends 
are are double vaccinated. Uh, people are quite open in my circle about who is and who isn't, and, and those are the people who are going to be gathered. We're going to be going to be comfortable uh, with. So uh, maybe maybe it's a group of people that I'm associating with who don't mind telling everybody what their vaccine situation mm-hmm. is. David, certainly, regardless of vaccination status, uh, a completely different vibe than a year ago. Well, I think so. But I, I, I think that I go back to something Peter said. I don't really, I'm not really picking up a vibe of lots of company-wide holiday parties. No. I think that anything that is an add-on that's an extra, compared, I think the bedrock is family. You know, are you going to have a holiday dinner? You're going to have a holiday gathering, exchanging gifts, whatever the seasonal festivities are. Has come. That, that's the first thing. Yes, we will. No, we won't. Or yes, we'll have a bigger one. Or yes, we'll cut it back. But I think that when you get into company-wide, especially since so many people have been working from home all year, so it's not the easiest thing in the world to organize. Suddenly, everybody shows up at the office for a holiday party. I, I, I do agree with Peter that I think that that's a bit of a leap for me to think that that's a big widespread trend. But I think that uh, at the family level, I think people do know who's double vaccinated and who isn't. And your willingness to be with people who aren't, I think, is quite variable. I don't think everybody feels the same way. Um and I think that uh, you have to, you know, use your own best judgment of what's right for you. Uh, what about that? And I'll put that out to you, the Zoomer radio listener. Is it important for you that everybody who comes to your home or the home that you go to, if you're having a gathering, is double vaccinated? Will there be individuals who have not gotten their vaccination? How are you dealing with that? Uh, it is a big topic of discussion among people at this time of year. Numbers to call 416 360 toll free one 866 740-4740. Let's go to Ian in London, Ontario. Ian, uh, welcome to our chat with the Zoomer squad. What would you like to add? Hi, Jane. Thank you. Um, I booked my booster shot this morning through the London Health Network, and there seems to be an error on the application. It's asking for date of birth. There's no way it wants date of birth. The only thing that came up was December calendar with today's date highlighted. So I clicked on that and it accepted it. But today's date certainly isn't my date of birth. So ah. If people are having trouble, I don't know if it's London specific or if this is the government website they're using, but uh, that alone could uh, stymie people from getting through and getting vaccinated. Well, so I just thought I'd mention that. No, thank you. Thank you for calling. Um, and, and Peter, it's, it's I think, the best way to go. I mean, you can go through your local health unit, but Ontario.ca slash COVID-19, once you put in your postal code, it routes you to the availability in that area anyway. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I imagine it's it's, you know, it's it's ironed out the bugs from from the first uh, two vaccine issues, and that that should be smooth sailing if you want to go through the the Ontario portal. Uh, you know, I, I, I it seems to me that would be the wisest course to pursue rather than going through your uh, local health unit. It, it really is, and I mean, it is. Except that's the beginning point province wide, and then you go from there to see where you can get your shot. I, I went on this morning just just went through the process, and of course, I'm still a week out, so it's saying you're not eligible. But I was just checking to see, okay, uh, you know, when you put in your, you don't actually put in your health card when you're trying to see if you're eligible, but you say what kind of health card you have, you were born, uh, when was your second dose, uh, so it, it weeds you out or it invites you in, depending on that criteria. Right. So, uh, yeah, no, this time next week, we'll, we'll see how the system fares. Uh, any more final thoughts on um, who's up next, who's here? I think we went around the table once. Peter, any more final thoughts getting together over the holidays? Um, no, website, they, they have a massive... Uh page on suggestions on how to celebrate safely so it, like if if you're in any way concerned uh you know you you could always uh, jump onto the ontario site and um you know uh brush up on your on your uh health measures and and things like that but but one one ominous note was the um 
you know, the Windsor-Essex, is it seems to be going back into yes. uh, uh, stricter gathering limits. So um, that's something to keep an eye on, whether that uh, other parts of the province uh, do the same if cases keep going up. So, um, you know, that could change everything, right? And, uh, you know, uh, it's just something to keep in mind. And we will be discussing that with Dr. Peter Uni in the second half of the show as well. Windsor-Essex decision came as a surprise to me. Bill and David, I'll ask you about that as well. Rising case numbers in the province. Windsor-Essex Medical Officer of Health is imposing restrictions beginning on Friday. So reducing gatherings, reducing to 50% uh, the number of people allowed in restaurants, theatres, etc. What do you make of that, Bill? Well, uh, you know... First of all, I I agree with uh, Peter about uh, uh, making sure you figure out how you can best gather. And if you're in that area of the province or if you're hearing that news, it's beginning to to uh, worry you. And it is uh, worrisome. And we're going to have to we're going to have to watch it. But also, please remember that distancing ourselves from family and friends has created all kinds of other risks. Issues, especially even endangering our mental health. So we would urge people to take all the precautions, but don't stay away from reasonable meetings with uh, with family, uh, family and friends. Uh, this season of the year is the hardest season uh, for any of us who who are suffering from the from the disassociation with other with other people. So uh, figure out. Don't don't look at, at why you can't do it. Figure out how you can at least get together with some family and friends over the holiday. It's our Monday Zoomer squad, Bill Van Gorder, David Kravitz, and Peter Mugridge, Jane for Libby. Back to the phones. Don in Oshawa. Go ahead. Oh, hello. Um, I am 72 years old. I am past my 168 days, and I want to get the third shot. And... Uh, so I go over to, I don't have a computer, so I, I can't book anything of that way. So I walk over to Shoppers Drug Mart store, and they don't have any stock in. They won't take any uh, appointments until they get stock in, and they don't even know when they're going to get it in. Like, I'm, I'm trying my best, but I'm getting nowhere. And it seems like right from the beginning of this thing, it's just been one mess up after another. I just don't know what to do. Have you called uh, the hotline? Um, no, I haven't. Okay, so the hotline, um, and I haven't used it lately. Aziv, maybe you could just double check this for me. Uh, it is one eight 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 nine nine nine. And Aziv, I need. I think it's sixty six forty eight. But let me. Uh, we'll find out here in just a second. So the the second you can get a shot, Don, it sounds like you'll be. You'll be there to get it. Oh, absolutely. I walked over this morning to, uh, hoping I was going to get one, and, and they won't even make, like I said, they won't even make an appointment for you because they don't know when they're going to get it in. When I got my second shot at the same shopper's uh, store, I just walked in, and there's a walk-in, and I had no problem getting it at all. But now they want to make an appointment, which I don't understand, because you can, if you can go in once and just get it, why can't you do it the second time? Like, it's just... Just a mess up all the time, it seems. Yeah, before we end the segment, I'm going to get that number to you. So if there are others out there that don't have computer access and haven't had success by walking into the pharmacy, we'll get that for you before 1230. But they so told me stand that they by. would make an, appointment, or make an appointment for me there once they got the stock in. Yeah. But, but they don't know when it's coming in. I understand. Okay. Uh, so stand by, Don. We'll get that number to you. Uh, I do want to switch topics here for just a moment. Uh, in long-term care news, and David, I'll put this to you first, uh, the provincial PCs at Queen's Park announced a new funding initiative for not-for-profit homes, whereby it will be offering loan guarantees for select non-profit home developments as part of its overall goal of implementing more beds. Your thoughts on that decision? Well, assuming that the that sector needs more financial help, uh, you know, every dollar that improves the physical plant, that modernizes uh, or updates or expands the physical plant, uh, has to be seen as a good thing. Um, I'm not uh, well informed enough on the underlying premises of this, you know, like, are they, is that sector uniquely... Um, um, short of funds, 
uh, as opposed to other sectors. But any any allocation of resources that improves the physical um, uh, setup, facilities, resources in long-term care homes, whether or not for profit or for profit, anything that improves the physical um, amenities and services and resources uh, has to be seen as a good thing. Uh, Bill, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, I, I agree with uh, David, Abso- absolutely. And I could shed a little more light. One of the problems that not-for-profits have is that banks and others don't like to lend money to them because no bank or other institution wants to have to foreclose or shut down or uh, or, or play rough with the not-for-profit. So many not-for-profit organizations, not just health organizations, but theater organizations, community organizations, can't get loans when they want to uh, uh, move, move ahead with their uh, plans. So a loan guarantee from the government that, that assures the bank or other institutions they're going to get their money is, is exactly what they need. And many of them, unless they have really deep pockets and, and what nonprofits do, uh, they can't afford to do it without that. So I was a little surprised to hear that those weren't already a place. I would have thought uh, that, that months or years ago there would have been a loan guarantee. So, yes, it's a good thing, and it's darn well about time. Right. Overdue, Peter, what Bill says? Overdue, but it, it's only a loan, I think. Like, it's not it's not uh, grant. Well, it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee yeah. loan. So, um, and and I, it looks like it'll be at... Um, you know, very low rates, and uh, and and you know, th- this is important money that nonprofits need to upgrade their homes. A, a lot of them are getting older, and uh, they need to meet the new uh, Ontario requirements for modernization of homes. So this is this is a good start, and um, hopefully, it'll it'll get some much needed repairs and, and upgrades made. Um, but it's it's. You know, it seems it's odd that it's limited only to not-for-profits, but I guess I guess we'll hear future announcements. You know, you know, we'll see whether there are future announcements for uh, for-profit homes. Okay, I suspect we are going to be hearing uh, lots of announcements about long-term care leading mm-hmm. up to the June election. Certainly, the Doug Ford PCs want to change the channel on the devastation that was experienced during the first and second waves in long-term care homes. We'll see how they do and how honest uh, their intentions are going forward. A couple of quick topics before we wrap up. Uh, last week, I know uh, you guys, the Zoomer Squad, you were chatting with Libby about the importance of high-dose flu shots for people 65 and up, and how the uptake hasn't been as good this year. Uh, David, are we starting to see more movement in that direction? Get your flu shot, get your booster shot. Well, I think that, I think there's really an information overload here, so it doesn't surprise me that uh, it takes a little time for it all to shake out. I don't know if there's, I haven't read that there's some dramatic surge but, you know, we've just been talking about the booster shot. Now we have the high-dose flu vaccine. There were some supply problems earlier in the season. Again, I think uh, Bill Bill will remind me, but I think two weeks ago we talked about this, that they hadn't ordered enough. So it's not surprising that, um, you know, the poor beleaguered patient, you know, the, the average person, um, is may is maybe a little uh, unable to respond as quickly as maybe the statisticians would like to see, but I can't emphasize enough. I'm I'm a big fan of, you know, every jab is good. Everything you can get your hands on, get your hands on it. Well, yes, because you need to be protected, and uh, uh, you just have to do it uh, for the sake of your health. Uh, And I think it was a good discussion and a good reminder for a lot of people because even those people who are under 65 have been eligible to get a regular shot, Peter, since the 1st of November. So there has been a lot of opportunity to protect ourselves against the flu. A lot of opportunities, Jane. And, like, again, I go go back to what I said earlier about, uh, you know, I I think some people who have been in isolation or, you know, have been really cutting themselves off from any kind of uh, outdoor activity or meetings or they they may think that um you know I, they don't need the flu shot this year because they're not you know they're not getting out and they're not they're not uh, exposing themselves to the same risk that they have in the past 
So I, I would suspect there's a little bit of that's 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 a little bit of the uh, explanation behind uh, some of the uh, resistance to get the flu shot. Well, I have mine. I'm sure you guys have yours as yep, well. Sure. Uh, we got to do it. Got to protect ourselves and our loved ones. And on a final note, and, and Bill, I was thinking about you this past week because uh, you do those great um, moments on Zoomer Radio, uh, carp moments, and you're talking about walking and the benefits of walking. And it sort of reminded me that, you know, we're supposed to get 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous exercise a week. Well, I could fulfill that back in the summer with my exercise routine and my gardening. But now that we're not gardening, we need to replace that with something. And walking is the perfect recipe. Well, walking is uh, one of the only things you can do when all those other activities are shut down because you can walk inside uh, or uh, or out uh, these days there are many malls and and uh, community fitness centers that uh, allow distance proper uh, indoor walking and, and and walking is one of the uh, best uh, fitness activities in fact in the uh, recent participation survey they found that 70 percent of Canadians said that was their favorite uh, activity so that's one of the things that carp is doing uh, this year. We are urging uh, all our members to, in addition to helping us, ask government to help us be more healthy, to take charge of ourselves and make sure that uh, we're taking that pill that can really improve our fitness and our mental health and that uh, get the fitness activity we need by getting out and walking. We will leave it there on that positive messaging. Uh, Thank you, Zoomer Squad, for your time again this Monday. Thanks, Jane. Thanks so much, Jane. Jane. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bill Van Gorder is Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. And Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. Okay, I know if you were waiting uh, for the phone number, the hotline to book your booster, we've got the numbers here now. First of all, the Provincial Vaccine Information Line number is one 888 9996488 my memory didn't quite serve me there a few minutes ago 18889996488 there is also a provincial vaccine booking line number and that is 18339433 3900 1833943900 if you don't have access to the internet uh, to book your booster shot. Okay, it's Jane for Libby. You're listening to Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Libby returns tomorrow, by the way. And you'll want to stick around for our next segment as we get the very latest news on the Omicron variant. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.